Welcome to Reformed in Public. Please visit our show notes page at anchor.fm forward slash reformed in public. Today we continue with the reading of The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. This work is considered public domain. 13. A gracious heart gets contentment from the covenant that God has made with him. Now this is a way of getting contentment that men of the world do not know. They can get contentment if they have the creature to satisfy them, but in getting contentment from the covenant of grace they have little skill. I should have opened two things here. First, how to get contentment from the covenant of grace in general, but I shall speak of that in the next sermon. And now, only a word on the second. Secondly, how he gets contentment from the particular branches of the covenant, that is, from the particular promise that he has for supplying every particular want. There is no condition that a godly man or woman can be in, but there is some promise or other in the scripture to help him in that condition. And that is the way of his contentment, to go to the promises and get from the promise that which may supply. This is but a dry business to a carnal heart but it is the most real thing in the world to a gracious heart. When he finds lack of contentment, he repairs to the promise and the content and the covenant, and falls to pleading the promises that God has made, as I should have shown several promises that God has made. Whatever the affliction, I will only mention one, that is the saddest affliction of all, in the case of the visitation and the plague. Those whose friends cannot come to them by reason of the plague, and who cannot have other comforts in other afflictions, might have their friends and other things to comfort them, but in that way they cannot. We read, There shall be no evil befall thee, neither shall nay plague come nigh thy dwelling. Then there is a promise for the pestilence in the fifth and sixth verses. I believe of Psalm 21. Or 91. This is the scripture. This is a scripture to those who are in danger of it. You will say that this is a promise that the plague shall not come nigh them, but the mark that these two are joined. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall the plague come nigh thee. The evil of it shall not come nigh thee. Objection. You will say, but it does come to many godly men. And how can they make use of this scripture? It is rather a scripture that may trouble them, because here is a promise that it shall not come nigh them, and yet it does come nigh them as well as others. Answer 1. The promise of outward deliverance that were made to the people of God in the time of the law were to be understood then a great deal more literally and fulfilled more literally than in the times of the gospel when God makes it up otherwise with as much mercy. Though God made a covenant of grace and eternal life in Christ with them, yet I think there was another covenant too, which God speaks of as a distinct covenant for outward things, to deal with his people according to their ways, either in outward prosperity or in outward afflictions, more so than now, in a more punctual, set way than in the times of the gospel. Therefore, when the children of Israel sinned against God, they were sure to have public judgments come upon them, and, if they did well, always public mercies. Mercies. 
the general constant way of God was to deal with the people of the Jews according as they did, well or ill, with outward judgments and outward mercies. But it is not so in the times, but it is not so now in the times of the gospel. We cannot bring such a certain conclusion that if God did deal so severely with men by such and such afflictions, he will deal so with them now, or that they shall have outward prosperity as they had then. Therefore, that is the first thing for understanding this and all other texts of the kind. 2. Perhaps their faith does not attain to this promise, and God often brings m many outward afflictions because the faith of his people does not reach the promise, and that not only in the Old Testament, but in the times of the New Testament. Zacharias's time may be said to be in the time of the New Testament, when he was struck with dumbness because he did not believe, and that is given as the cause why he was struck with dumbness. But you will say now, he has, a, he has faith, a warrant to believe deliverance, that it shall be fully delivered. I dare not say so, but it may act upon it, to believe that God will make it good in his own way. Perhaps you have not done as much, and so, because of that, this promise is not fulfilled to you. 3. When God makes such a promise to his people, yet it must be with this reservation, that God must have liberty for these three things. 1. That notwithstanding his promise, he will have liberty to make use of any for your chastisement. 2. That he must have liberty to make use of your wealth, or liberties, or lives, for the furtherance of his own ends, as it, the furtherance of his own ends, if it is to be a stumbling block to wicked and ungodly men. God must have liberty, though he has made a promise to you, he will not release the, proper, the propriety that he has in your possessions and lives. 3. God must have sufficient liberty to make use of what you have, to show that his ways are unsearchable and his judgments past finding out. God reserves these three things in his hand still. Objection. But you will say, what good then is there in such a promise that God makes to his people? 1. That you are under the protection of God more than others. But what comfort is this if it befalls me? Answer. You have this comfort that the evil of it shall be taken from you, that if God will make use of this affliction for other ends, yet he will do it so as to make it up to you in some other way. Perhaps you have given your children something, but afterwards, if you have a use for it, that thing, you will come and say, I must have it. Why, father, the child may say, you gave it to me. But I must have it, says the father, and I will make it up to you in some other way. The child does not think that the father's love is ever a whit the less to him. So when there is any such promise as this, that God by his promise gives you his protection, and yet for all that such a thing befalls you, it is only as if the father should say, I gave you that indeed, but let me have it, and I will make it up to you in some other way. That shall be as that shall be as good. God says, "Let me have your health and liberty and life, 
and it shall be made up to you in some other way. 2. Whenever the plague or pestilence comes to those who are under such a promise, it is for some special and notable work, as God requires them to search and examine in a special manner, to find out its me- his meaning. There is so much to be learned in the promise that God has made concerning this particular evil, that the people of God may come to quiet and content their hearts in this affliction. I read in this psalm that God has made a promise to his people to deliver them from the plague and the pestilence, and yet I find it has come. It may be that I have not made use of my faith in this promise heretofore, and if God brings afflictions upon me, yet he will make it up some other way. God made a promise to deliver me, or at least to deliver me from all the evil of it. Now, if this thing does befall me, and yet I have a promise of God, certainly the evil of it is taken away. This promise tells me that if it does befall me, yet it is for some notable end, and because God has a use for my life, and intends to bring about his glory in some his glory some way that I do not know of. And yet sorry. And if he will come in a fatherly way of chastisement, yet I will be satisfied in the thing. So a Christian heart, by reasoning out of the word, comes to satisfy his soul in the midst of such a heavy hand of God, and in such a distressed condition as that. Now carnal hearts do not find that power in the word, that healing virtue that is in it, to heal their distracting cares and the troubles of their spirits. But when those who are godly come to hear the word, they find in it, as it were, a plaster for all their wounds, and so they come to have ease and contentment in such conditions as are very grievous and miserable to others. But as for other particular promises, and more generally for the covenant of grace, how and in what a mysterious way the saints work to get contentment and satisfaction to their souls. We shall refer to these things in the next chapter. In the last chapter we spoke of several things in the mystery of contentment, and at the close we spoke of two more, but we did not have time to open either of them. I shall now open them a little more fully, then proceed to some few more. That is the next thing, then. A Christian heart not only has contentment in God, and certainly he who has God, who himself has all, must have all, but he is able to make up all his outward wants of creature comforts from what he finds in himself. That may seem to be more strange. It is true, perhaps, that even though men do not feel by experience that it is to make up all in God, yet we may convince them that if they have him who has all things, then they have all. For there is such a fullness in God, he being the infinite first being of all things, that may make up all their wants. 
But here is another thing that is beyond that. I say a godly man can make up whatever he lacks without the creature. He can make it up for himself. He can make it up in himself. In Proverbs 14:14 14, 14, we read, "A good man shall be satisfied from himself." Suppose for example that he lacks outward comforts, good cheer and feasting, a good conscience in a continual feast, so he can make up the lack of a feast by the peace that he has in his own conscience. If he lacks melody in the world, he has a bird within him that sings the most melodious songs in the world and the most delightful. And then does he lack honor? He has his own conscience witnessing for him that is as a thousand witnesses the scripture says in Luke 17:21 Neither shall they say lo here or lo there for behold the kingdom of God is within you a christian then whatever he lacks he can make it up for he has a kingdom in himself the kingdom of God is within you If a king meets with a great deal of trouble when he is abroad he contents himself with this I have a kingdom of my own It is said here the kingdom of God is within a man Now if those of you who are learned look into the commentary on the gospel on this gospel by a certain scholar you'll find he has a very strange idea about this text he confesses that it is unutterable and so it is the kingdom of god is within you but he understands it that there is such a presence of god and christ within the soul of a man that when the body dies he says the soul goes into god and christ who are within him the souls going into god and christ are enjoying that communion with god and christ that is within itself that is heaven to it he says he confesses he is not able to express himself and others cannot understand fully what he means but certainly for the present before death there is a kingdom of god within the soul such a manifestation of god in the soul as is enough to content the heart of any godly man in the world the kingdom of that na- that he has the kingdom that he now has within him he need not wait till afterwards till he goes to heaven but certainly there is a heaven in the soul of a godly man he has heaven already many times when you get go to comfort your friends in their afflictions you say heaven will pay for all indeed you may assuredly find heaven pays for all already there is a heaven within the souls of the saints that is a certain truth no soul shall ever come to heaven but the soul which has heaven come to it first when you die you hope you will go to heaven but if you will go to heaven when you die heaven will come to you before you die now this is a great mystery to have the kingdom of heaven in the soul no man can know this but the that soul which he has it the heaven which is within the soul for the present is like the white stone and the new name that none but those that have it can understand it 
It is a miserable condition, my brethren, to depend altogether upon creatures for our contentment. You know that rich men can that rich men account it a great happiness if they do not need to go to buy things by the penny as others do. They have all things for pleasure or profit on their own ground, and all their inheritance lies entirely together. Nobody comes within them, but they have everything within themselves. There lies their happiness, whereas other poorer people are fain to go from one market to another to provide their necessities. Great rich men have sheep and beeves and beeves corn clo- and clothing and all other thing and all things else of their own within themselves and herein they place their happiness but this is the happiness of a christian that he has that within himself which may satisfy him more than all these there is a place in the first chapter of james that seems to allude to the condition of men who have all their wealth within themselves But to let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The word there used signifies to have the whole inheritance to ourselves, not a broken inheritance, but that where all lies within themselves, not like a man who has a piece of his estate here and a piece there, but one who has it all lying together. When the heart is patient under afflictions, it finds itself in such an estate as this, finds its whole inheritance together, and all complete within itself. Now, to show this by further analogies, the one who is filled with good things is just like many a man who enjoys an abundance of comforts at home in his own house. God grants him a pleasant home, a good wife, and fine walks and gardens, and he has all things at home that he could desire. Now such a man does not care much for going out. Other men are fain to go out and see friends, because they have quarreling and contending at home. Many poor husbands will give this reason, if their wives moan and complain of their faults and shortcomings, they make it their excuse to go out, because they can never be quiet at home. Now we have account those now we account those mo- men most happy who have everything at home, those who have confined homes that are unpleasant and evil smelling delight to go out to to go into the fresh air, but it is not so with many others that have good things at home. Those who have no good cheer at home are fain to go out to friends, but those who whose tables are well furnished would as soon stay at home. So a carnal man has little contentment in his own spirit. It is Augustine who likens a bad conscience to a scolding wife. A man who has a bad conscience does not care to look into his own soul, but loves to be out and to look into other things. He never looks to himself. As it is, with a vessel that is full of liquor. If you strike it, it will make no great noise. 
but if it is empty when it makes a great then it makes a great noise. So it is with the heart. A heart that is full of grace and goodness within will bear a great many strokes and never make any noise. But if an empty heart is struck, it will make noise. When some men and women are complaining so much and always whining, it is a sign that there is an emptiness in their hearts. If their hearts were filled with grace, they would not make such a noise. A man whose bones are filled with marrow and his veins with good blood does not complain of the cold as others do. So a gracious heart having the Spirit of God within him and his heart filled with grace has that within him that makes him find contentment. It was a saying of Seneca, those things that I suffer will be incredibly heavy when I cannot bear myself. But if I am no burden to myself, if all is quiet within my own heart, then I can bear anything. Many men through their wickedness have burdens outside, but the greatest burden is the wickedness of their own hearts. They are not burdened with their sins in a godly way, for that would ease their burden, but they still have their wickedness in its power, and so they are burdens to themselves. The disorders of men's hearts are great burdens to them, but many times a godly man has enough within to content himself. Virtue is content with itself to live well it is a saying of Cicero in one of his paradoxes, it finds enough within his its own sphere for living happily. But how few are acquainted with this mystery. Many think, oh, if I had what another man has, how happily and comfortably should I live. But if you are a Christian, whatever your condition, you have enough within yourself. You will say, such and such men, who have all things, need not be holden to anybody. There are many who labor and take pains when they are young, that they, may not, that they might not be beholden to others. They love to live of themselves. Now a Christian may do so. Not that he does not live upon God, I do not mean that, but upon what he has of God within himself. He can live upon that. Although he does not enjoy the comforts that are outside himself. That is what I mean. And those who are godly and keep close to God in their communion with him will understand what it means by saying that a Christian has the supply of all his wants within himself. Here you may see that the spirit of a Christian is a precious spirit. A godly spirit is precious. Why? Because it has enough to make him happy within himself. The next thing that the mystery of contentment consists in is this, that a gracious heart gets it supply, its supply of all things from the covenant, and so comes to have the co and so comes to have contentment which is a dry thing to a carnal spirit. There are two things in this. One, he gets contentment from the covenant in general, that is, from the great covenant that God has made with him in Christ. Two, he gets it from the particular promises that God has made, 
with him in the covenant. From the covenant in general, I will give you one scripture for that, which is very striking. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Although he make it not to grow. 2 Samuel 23, 5 It is a wonderful statement by David, who did not have the covenant of grace revealed as fully as we have. Mark what he says, Although I find not my house so, that is, so comfortable in every way, as I wish, as I would wish, although it is not so, so, what has he got to content his spirit? He says he has made with me an everlasting covenant. This is what helps in everything. Some men will say, I am not thus and thus with God. I do not find that God comes in so fully, or it is not with my house and family as I hoped it might be. Perhaps there is this or that affliction upon my house. Suppose the plague were to come into your house, and it is not so safe, and you do not enjoy such outward comfort in your house as you once did. Can you read this scripture and say, although my house is not so blessed with health as other men's houses are, although my house is not so, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant. I am still one in covenant with God. The Lord has made with me an everlasting covenant. As for these things in the world, I see they are but momentary. They are not everlasting. I see a family in which all was well only a week ago, and now everything is down. The plague has swept away a great many of them, and the rest are left in sadness and mourning. We see there is no resting in the things of this world, yet the Lord has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things. I find disorder in my heart, in my family, but the everlasting covenant is ordered in all things, yes, it is sure. Alas, there is no certainty here in these things. We can be sure of nothing here, especially in these times. We know that a man can be sure of little that he has, and who can be sure of his wealth. Perhaps some of you have lived, have here lived well and comfortably before. All was well about you, and you thought your mountain was strong. But within a day or two, you see everything taken away from you. There is no certainty in the things of this world. But he says, the covenant is sure. What I venture at sea is not sure. But here is an insurance office indeed, a great insurance office for the saints, at which they are not charged except in the exercising of grace. For they may go to this insurance office to insure everything that they venture, either to have the thing itself or to be paid for it. 
In an insurance office, you cannot be sure to have the very goods that you insured, but if they are lost, the insurers pledge themselves to make it good to you. And this covenant of grace that God has made with his people is God's insurance office, and the saints in their fears may and ought to go to the covenant to insure all things, to insure their wealth and insure their lives. You will say, how are they sure? Their lives and wealth go as well as other people's do. But God pledges himself to make up all. And mark what follows. This is all my salvation. Why? David, will you not have salvation from your enemies and from outward dangers, pestilence and plague? The frame of his spirit is quieted, as though to say, if that salvation comes, well and good, I shall praise God for it. But what I have in the covenant, that is my salvation. I look upon that as enough. Yes, and he goes further. This is all my salvation and my all my desire. Why? David, is there not something else that you would like to have besides this covenant? No, he says. It is all involved in this. Surely those men or women must needs live contented lives who have their desires. Now, says the holy man, here this is all my desire, though he make it not to grow. For all this covenant, perhaps you will not prosper in the world as other men do, true, but I shall but I can bear that. Though, though God does not make my house to grow, I have all my desires. Thus you see how a godly heart finds contentment in the covenant. Many of you speak of the covenant of God and of the covenant of grace, but have you found it's as effectual as this to your souls? Have you sucked this sweetness from the covenant and the contentment to your hearts in your sad conditions. It is a special sign of true grace in any soul that when any affliction befalls him in a kind of natural way he repairs immediately to the covenant. Just as a child as soon as ever it is in danger need not be told to go to his father or mother for nature tells him so. So it is with a gracious heart, as soon as it is in any trouble or affliction, there is a new nature which carries him to the covenant immediately, where he finds ease and rest. If you find that your hearts work in this way, immediately running to the covenant, it is an excellent sign of true grace, so much for the general point.